You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Pat Murphy at SFNSF. Thank you for joining me, Pat. You're quite welcome. Uh, Pat, your newest novel is called Wild Girls. It's now out in paperback. It involves not an iota of speculative fiction. You spent your most of your career writing speculative fiction. So tell us a little bit about the transformation you had to undergo to write a piece of spec- non-speculative fiction for surly teenagers. Well, it's uh, sort of the same transformation I undergo anytime I write anything, which is figuring out where this story is taking me. Um, The initial story was uh, about two girls who discover that learning to write can change who they are. And the original story I wrote as a novella, then threw it in a drawer because it wasn't really science fiction. It had what I would call science fiction sensibilities. There were characters in the story who felt a little larger than life, who uh, had attitudes that were um, felt in some way to me uh, reminiscent of science fiction. But I threw the story in a drawer for a couple of years and uh, finally a science fiction um, editor, uh, Marty Halpern, was editing an anthology Mm -hmm. and asked me if I had anything and I said no, no, Uh, Not really. Um, Well, there is this one piece, but it's not science fiction. And he asked to see it anyway, and then they wanted to buy it for an anthology that was largely science fiction. Um, And that's happened to me a few different times. I have another story called A Flock of Lawn Flamingos that was in Ellen... that title. (laughs) Yeah, it was in Ellen Datlow's anthology, Lethal Kisses, um, which is allegedly revenge stories. And this is a science fiction revenge stories. And this is not science fiction, uh, but it, uh, like I said, it has a science fiction sensibility. One of the things that uh, I really do think of science fiction as a marketing category. Um, It's where you find them in the bookstore. It's where you find them in the bookstore. When When I teach a science fiction class, my first lecture is usually about is this science fiction? What is science fiction? Because everyone's going to ask that question. And during this lecture, I read, um, I tell the entire class, raise your hand when you know that what I'm reading, when you're sure you know whether it's science fiction, and I'm putting science fiction and fantasy in the same category, whether you think this belongs in the science fiction, fantasy section of the bookstore, or doesn't belong somewhere else. And then I will read various excerpts. And what I love is I read some things from the 50s with anti-gravity and ray guns. Everyone knows immediately. Science fiction, science fiction, why? It's got anti-gravity, it's got ray guns. Then I'll read a few things that have fantasy elements. Oh, yep, it's fantasy, it's got got a dragon. Um, Then I'll read the the first line of a well-known story that starts something like, When Gregor Samsa awoke from uneasy dreams, he had discovered he had been transformed into a gigantic cockroach. The students all recognize it as Metamorphosis by Kafka. They know where it's shelved in the bookstore, and yet 
they also know that the main character has been transformed into a, a large uh, bug, which is not possible. So it messes with their minds because it gets to that very thing that we were talking about earlier. Context matters. Um, it is not just what is on the page that determines whether it's a science fiction story or not. Um, the Flock of Lawn Flamingos, which has no science fiction element, was published as science fiction and has continued to be alive in the science fiction market. And that's great. I, I, um, I, accept, I accept that marketing categories are necessary and I work with them and play around them sometimes. And, and, uh, but I don't think that the categorization is necessarily intrinsic to the work. Well, somebody needs to write an alternate history where Franz Kafka found publication oh, in Weird Tales. Someone did. Oh, really? <laughs> I've forgotten who. Um, ask some uh, someone who is much better at remembering who wrote what. But there is a story that is about Kafka um, being a science fiction writer. And anyway, you, you had asked about Wild Girls. And so it started when I wrote that novella. That novella sold to a science fiction market. Um, then what happened was uh, Sharon November, who's a young adult uh, uh, editor. Firebird. Firebird. Right. Um, as she, was, she had read my novel, The City Not Long After, and wanted to republish it, but um, really felt that she could uh, reprint a novel only if she got a new novel from the same author. Mm -hmm. And she said, do you have anything that you want to offer me? And so I sent her two proposals. One was based on the Wild Girls. It was that novella. And I had realized after writing that novella that there's, there was a lot more I wanted to talk about, um, a lot more exploration, exploration I wanted to do with those characters. Um, so I sent her the Wild Girls, and I sent her a uh, fantasy proposal. And she chose the Wild Girls. So OK, vote of confidence. I'll go with that. Um, and it was really an interesting, interesting story to tackle. It forced me to look at my own material in different ways. Really? Um, and get, uh, in some ways, deeper into the emotional life of the characters. In some ways, I mean, I've always gotten very deeply into the emotional life of my characters. I don't know. There, there was, there was something different about it. I can't, I can't pinpoint what it is. Ask me next year if I'm here again. Maybe I'll have figured it out by then. Well, you used a phrase that I think is really interesting: science fiction sensibilities. Uh huh. And I understand what that means because. But maybe you could explain it a little bit more. Well, you've, you've talked about it a few times tonight. Um, part of science fiction sensibilities is the sense of wonder. And that sense of wonder can apply to something that we um, see as wonderful in a science fiction context, like life on Mars, or see as wonderful in a fantasy context, like um, you know uh, fairies coming through the mirror. Or that same sense of wonder can apply to the real world. Um, the wonder that you get when you realize as a 12-year-old that parents actually have feelings. That parents <laughs> aren't this monolithic 
thing. Boy, that's great. That's so great. I mean, isn't that a sense of wonder? Yeah, no, that's true. That's absolutely true. And yeah, um, you, you can perceive that just like it's like robots getting getting emotions. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it is like the robot who cried when you suddenly realize your mom doesn't know everything and has feelings. That's a realization, and that's a sense of wonder. Or that can also apply in mainstream literature to oh, any number of uh, strong emotional experiences. And that in that, so that's what I mean by, I think that's what, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm still, uh, um, well, still feeling my way through what I mean by science fiction sensibilities. But I, I'll tell you one other element of it. One element is the sense of wonder. The other element that I've mentioned once already is larger than life characters. Um, there are characters in the real world, mundane literature, uh, my day-to-day -day life, who are larger than life. People who live really big, people who have really big ideas, people who take things a lot further and risk more. Those tend to be science fictional characters in science fiction, but they're also out there in the real world. Um, you know, inventing something like Google, that's a big idea. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a, sci that's a science fiction idea, mm -hmm. but it's real world too. Well, it, somebody like Stephen Hawking is, mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. he, he could have been a science, he could have been a character in a 1940s science fiction novel, and he probably is in some unknown, yeah. unpublished work out there. Yeah, yeah. So um, my story, uh, the flock of lawn, a flock of lawn flamingos, that's uh, that is mainstream. The main character in that story is Joan Egypt, who moves into this small uh, California suburb. And uh, it's a it's a uh, home. It has a homeowners association. The the development where she lives, and she one day puts, um, you know, she notices someone has a couple of lawn flamingos on their yard, and she thinks those look great. So she goes and gets you know fifty lawn flamingos and puts them on her, her yard. Well, the homeowners association has some problems with that. There's a rule against it, and it evolves into. Uh, on her side, a playful battle between her and the homeowners association. From the homeowners association side, it's a fight to the death. And um, Joan Egypt is a larger than life character who is playing with reality. There's a book that uh, I recommend to everyone. Um, it's not a science fiction book. It's not a fiction book. It's called uh, Finite and Infinite Games. Um, and it's uh, book, I don't know if it's overtly a book by a pataphysician, but it's really about uh, pataphysical sensibilities. Um, one of the lines from the book I, that I love is, um, uh, in finite games you play to win, in infinite games you play to keep playing. And in finite games uh, you play within the boundaries, in infinite games you play with the boundaries. And I think science fiction sensibilities involve the infinite game, in play, involve, at, at their best, involve playing with the boundaries, expanding what the boundaries are. Um, so I think of Joan Egypt in A Flock of Lawn Flamingos as very much a player of the infinite game. And just to make things even more 
peculiarly tied together. Joan, the main character in The Wild Girls, um, my friend Ellen Clay just actually says that uh, The Wild Girls is the Joan Egypt origin myth. Um, Joan, e Joan in The Wild Girls, I know, though, you know, it's not, it's nowhere on the page. I know that Joan grows up to be Joan Egypt. Um, and one of the, I, over time, if I live long enough, I'll write the stories that get her there. But uh, that'll take a while. We'll be waiting for you. I've been speaking with Pat Murphy at SFNSF. Thank you for joining me, Pat. Thank you very much. This was fun. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.